0: He scores! Gilmore scores!
1: The three left. Off the glass, it looks going to a Aguila A Gitla the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. They made by all. Aguila Three-bounds, another
2: shot. They score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames Talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. Okay, let's
1: get things going on this Tuesday, December 5th. We are underway from the Scotiabank Saddledome. Flames talk this hour. On Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's Steinberg along with you on a Tuesday, and uh, it's a Tuesday, which means we've got lots to talk about with our NHL insider. It's time to say hello to Frank Saravalli in Seattle. Brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit South Trail Exports. Dot com. Why is Frank in Seattle? He's there for now wrapped up Board of Governors meetings, which we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. Uh, as we say hello to Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com right now. Hello, Frank. How are we doing? Pretty good, Pat. How are you? I'm doing well. There you are. Um, it's good to uh, it's good to have you on. How's, uh, how's Seattle treating you? It is uh, quite Rainy, not cool, not cold, but definitely rainy. Are you? Uh, are you still at the uh, B O G venue? Where 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 are we finding you on this Tuesday? No, I'm
2: at my hotel, but it seems like I'm on a huge delay. Am I not? Uh, yeah, absolutely, it does. Uh, we'll 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 make it work, though. Um,
1: we'll uh, We'll 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 or you can just have, You can just call me, delay, and I can, no we can do it there. old school on the phone. No, no, this is fine like this. We're, a little bit of delay never hurt anybody. We can uh, we can make it happen, um, and we'll we'll get into Board of Governors stuff in just a second because there is a lot to get to and uh, a lot of talking points coming out of B O G meetings. Um, but I I do wanna I do wanna start by now that we've had you know four or five days to digest Calgary's first significant trade of the season, the uh, Nikita Zadorov situation. He's a member of the Vancouver Canucks now. The Flames trade him prior to the game on Thursday. I'm just curious now, they've had a little time to, to talk about it, how you evaluate last week's trade between the Flames and
2: Canucks. I know everyone was really disappointed in the initial return because they're sizing it up and the first thing they hear is a third round pick and a fifth round pick and they go, oh, not necessarily exciting from that standpoint. And I understand the gut reaction, but when you take a step back and consider it from the big picture, I think a third round and a fifth is fine. Uh, could they have hung on to potentially get a second by March when the de- deadline rolls around? I mean, of course they could, and they probably would have. But I think if you're the Calgary Flames, more than just valuing the cap space, I think you have to properly value your culture. And without saying as much because it's not Craig Conroy's style, I think that was a huge part of this deal. It was this guy made a trade request publicly and leaked it essentially through his agent, through the media without coming to us first. And when you do that and you have a team mm-hmm. that had already had lots of question marks in the summer rolling into this season about who wants to stay, who wants to go. And at a time when it seemed completely self-serving after a goal and a big hit in Toronto in a city that he clearly wanted to go to that, the first thing the Flames should try and do is, is quiet some of the noise. They've played some of their best hockey of the season these last few weeks. The last thing you want is some guy on your team stepping out of line. And so we know Michael Backlund was part of the group that said, hey, if you have anything that you'd like to see fixed, if you have any requests or preferences, go directly to management. Let's try and limit the drama and noise. And for this team at this juncture, this moment in time, I think that's worth much more than moving up from the third to a second well
1: and and I do think the retention side of it is really important too the fact that they don't retain a single dollar which gives them a little bit more flexibility especially as they start to get out of ltir and they don't use a retention spot that they might need to use for any other trade between now and and the trade deadline and i i do think there is a pretty significant value in that
2: as well well, there is, because it opens up a lot of flexibility for the Flames to either, if they want, add, or whether it comes to retaining on other players at the deadline, it's one less spot that you have to consider. And more than that, you could also potentially maximize and or flex your cap space muscle and take on contracts that might not work for teams to try and juice some return later. So there is real tangible value in that cap space in freeing up the whole thing. As we just saw with the Vancouver Canucks and what they executed in moving off of Anthony Beauvillier, you know, before that trade could be completed for Zadarov, if they retain any part on Beauvillier, it lessens kind of what they could do on the Zadarov front. So everything's interconnected. And so when you size all those things up, I think it helps really explain and put in perspective what Calgary was looking at when they wanted to make the move what what's your understanding on how
1: involved the Toronto Maple Leafs were in potentially bringing zadorov and and maybe
2: other flames into the into their mix I think they were pretty aggressive um, in their interest I think their first priority was to try and get Tanev because I think that's the guy that they really wanted in Toronto. And it makes sense given the situation that they're in with John Klingberg being out the new cap space flexibility that they have. And they wanted to, they want, I should say in present tense to bring in two defensemen for the price of what Klingberg costs on the salary cap. Now, will they be able to pull that off? Probably not in one transaction, the Flames were one of the few teams out there, and I don't they could never really make the money work and get that situation quite right to the point where they could get both of those guys in for that Klingberg hit. So that part sort of hung out there, and I, I still think the door is open for for Calgary and Toronto to connect on a Tanev deal. I'm not saying it's likely or that it's probable, but I certainly would put them pretty high atop the list if the Flames get to the point where they're moving Tanev that Toronto would be mm-hmm. among the teams that are interested.
1: What, what is your overall read on, on Tanev? Do you feel like there is still an open door for an extension with him in Calgary? Or, or do you
2: feel like going down the trade road is probably the most realistic here? i think it's probably the most realistic i don't know what his expectations are in terms of the market in terms of how much term he would need in order to remain a calgary flame i think if he were open to something that's short term sort of low risk that the flames appetite would be more if i'm reading the tea leaves correctly and i I think everyone's just concerned with the amount of wear and tear on Tanev's body and I don't look at that as a shot across the bow at him. I'm not saying he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, just has completely lost a step and can't do it anymore. I, I think it's way more in terms of it feels like every single night you watch the flames. He's, you know, the last week was a great example, taking the puck off the face. At some point or another, it feels like he's going down the tunnel to get some kind of treatment or something looked at. And it's by the nature of how he plays with reckless abandon that makes him of interest and intrigue to teams, but it's also a fine line. I I do think part of the durability part has been a bit overstated or over, you know, I guess talked about it's been, it's Mm overhyped at some points because when you really dig into his games played in Calgary, he's missed, I think 17 games in four years was the last count that I had. Yeah that's not a real significant total over four seasons. So, you know, maybe we talk about it a lot, but I know that teams internally are also there it's it's buyer beware if you it's not just acquiring him, but if you were to sign him to that next deal. Last
1: last one on the Flames and and that's just kind of bigger picture. Do, does the Zadorov situation in your mind and the fact they moved him out do, does that Does that give you an indication or should it give us an indication as to any which way their direction might be pointing? Or is that more of a vacuum because there
2: was such a public trade request? I view it as a bit of a vacuum. Like, I know why people would look at it and say, oh, this is the opening of the door. This is, you know, the beginning of how the flames start to dismantle this and pick apart the pieces – I think they're very much still looking at this like, hey, let's see what happens from here. Trading Nikita Zadaroff isn't going to really impact our playoff chances one way or the other. Let's rid ourselves from a distraction that was lingering. Let's move forward together. And then let's see what happens on the back end of that. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of
1: that's what the feel is on the ground here as well. And and I also think that, that point you bring up is important as well. I, I think it was important to do this in an expedited fashion because I do think there was a distraction element that played into this. So uh, I think that's really well said. We're chatting with Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. Joining us from Seattle on this Tuesday Flames Talk. What's Frank doing in Seattle? Well, he's there for NHL Board of Governors meetings, which which I uh, have wrapped up on this Tuesday. Let's, uh, let's dive right in because there are a lot of different talking points and a lot of different nuggets of information that uh, you were able to mine from Board of Governors meetings. Let's just start with, with some of Monday's news and, and start with the salary cap. Uh, we, we've been expecting a rise in next year's salary cap for quite some time. So what do we know? What can you tell us about what next year's cap is trending towards?
2: Yeah, it's not really hard news, Pat, because we've known about this formula for a while. But basically, the NHL confirmed to the Board of Governors on Monday that the league is on track for next year's salary cap to be at $87.7 million. And this year, it was at 83 and a million. So what we're talking about is a $4.2 million increase. And that's really exactly what the collective bargaining agreement with the NHLPA calls for coming out of the pandemic. Once the players paid off the debt from players to owners, which we believe is either now happened or is very close to happening, that the cap will increase five percent. so five percent on top of eighty three and a half gets you to eighty seven point six seven five million, also known as eighty seven seven and that's really where the projection is heading into next season. I use the word projection because well. On the one hand, it's kind of the minimum of what we're looking at. I think there's an outside chance that the league and the Players Association negotiate a larger number than that because eventually the salary cap will have to be relinked to actual revenue, which, by the way, the league said today they're on pace for a projected $6.2 billion in HRR. Right now, that would roughly equate to a $95 million salary cap. So being at 87-7 next year, they're still quite a ways off from that. And by the time it relinks, you're probably talking about a $100 million bucks. So what the league would do, what the owners would do if they're smart, is smooth that out. With all due respect to Craig Conroy and anyone else that's managing a team, if I'm an NHL owner, the last thing I want to do is hand my GM a gob of... of free cap space of $10 million increase in one shot. I I just don't, I don't, it's as good as it might be for that free agent class of that year. I don't know that Mm -hmm. it makes a whole lot of sense from a business perspective to do that. So when I say outside chance, the reason for that is because the league and the PA would have to negotiate an alternative. And that also means that the PA would probably have to give something up in order to make that happen and what will that be? Well, it would be an increase in escrow, which is the dirtiest word in hockey locker rooms these days. Yeah. And so, I'm not really holding my breath. Okay.
1: Um so that's that's the salary cap situation.
2: How how much was expansion discussed over the last couple of days, Frank? Pretty informally, I would say that it was sort of a Hey, I know this has been a topic of conversation in the media, but we're not in a position to be expanding right now. The league apprised the board of governors that they continue to receive expressions of interest from places like Seattle and Houston, Atlanta and Quebec City, among others. Uh, But in parentheses, what I would say to that is they may not be right now. Make no mistake, the NHL will be a 34-team league in the not-so-distant future. It's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be next season. But the amount of money that the league could charge for an expansion fee is too good to pass up. It's it's free money that would be injected into the system. And not only that, with the check that would go to all 30 existing teams prior to this last round of expansion would be intoxicating but also it it helps everyone in the sense that it becomes a case of who says no you increase the uh, pot of revenue because you have two more teams contributing to it you have more eyeballs in new markets that TV partners and broadcast partners are excited about and you add 50 plus new jobs to uh, to the players Union which certainly helps as well so it's it's a spot where the league has has enjoyed the influx of cash over the last 5 years or 6 years since they expanded beyond 30 and it's just too good to pass up. It, you're talking about 1.2 billion dollars potentially per team. That's like if you add two teams that's 80 million dollars in a check that's being written to each yeah. of the 30 sort of original ones.
1: Do you ever think that the NHL would be the league with the most teams? You say 34. That put them two ahead of the NFL, which also has 32. Do you ever ever think that the NHL would be the league in North
2: America that had the most teams in it? No, and I'm sure that even uh, some governors and owners who have been around since before Gary Bettman took over when it was a – 21 team league that we wouldn't get to this point. I think some might argue in return that the league is becoming watered down, that when you add this many players to the pool that the product isn't quite as good and that it is too many teams. I don't really know where I come out on the argument. I always think more is better, more competition, more storylines, more eyeballs. But I mean, it's easy for me to say too like you know, I'm not in a spot that would have any reason to detract from it.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay, so that's the expansion front. We've hit the salary cap. Uh, What did we find out about this year's or this season's uh, NHL draft? What do we know about the 2024 NHL draft?
2: Book it. June 28th, 29th at the Sphere in Las Vegas. And that's the most exciting part is the venue. It'll be one last time yeah. that you're going to see all 32 teams or however many the number is uh, on the floor at the at the draft at the same time. They We know they're going to change the format and decentralize it. So they're going out with a bang. They're going to have a big party in Vegas, and it's going to be at an iconic venue. The NHL will become the first pro sports league to uh, to use the sphere, which is just incredible. If you've seen some of the videos on TikTok or Instagram or wherever it might be, the looks inside that place, if you can envision Macklin Celebrini, the likely number one overall pick coming down at you on a rush inside the sphere, you can almost feel it and see it Uh, you know, just imagining it in your own head of how cool that might look like. So that's what the league's working on. They're sort of rubber stamping it today at the Board of Governors meeting. It's a significant expenditure for the league, way above and beyond what they normally would spend for a draft. The issue hasn't been, Pat, in paying the fee to get in the building, which is, by the way, owned by the Madison Square Garden Group and James Dolan, who owns the Rangers. It's actually been a question for the NHL of feasibility in six months time or seven months time. Can we program all those screens inside the sphere to make it look like we want it to? It's also going to cost a lot of money to do that. So that's what they've been working on behind the scenes over the last six to eight weeks. It is, um, it is going to be
1: interesting because, this, as, as you mentioned, one final blowout where everybody is in the same locale before they go to a different style draft starting in 2025. Frank, how, how different is the draft going to look after we get this opportunity to see it in, in this brand new, whatever, billion-plus-dollar venue at the Sphere? What, what does the draft look like after this?
2: Well, I'm actually just still kind of concentrating on what this draft will look like <laughs> this one I don't know yeah, if yeah. I'm allowed to say this like what how awesome would it be if if you just like took an edible and sat back and watched the draft at the sphere <laughs> you you in you want to do it? <laughs> I mean, I, I have to work, so I can't. So it won't be me. But I hope someone does, and I would like to write about the experience of. Uh, I mean, it's one thing seeing a, a U two show and and being out uh, uh, out in the desert, so to speak, as as they're meandering, um, you know, Death Valley or whatever they do with the U two show. But it's another thing to uh, to to be seeing some hockey and to sit back and enjoy that experience. Be pretty unreal. Mm-hmm um is is that uh
1: is that legal you want it is here
2: oh yeah i mean it's 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 actually not legal in pennsylvania we're getting there but you can in new jersey which is just across the bridge so if you wanted to okay. partake it's not very hard
1: Okay, uh, I, just wanted, I just wanted to check. I didn't know. I didn't know what the it is. It is in Nevada and and Washington. So I just I'm just curious. I'm I'm just all about legalities. I'm a big. Uh, I'm interested in these things. Frank is with us. Our daily face-off NHL insider joining us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk. Just a few more on on board of governors meetings. Because man, I, it it does feel like there's more news than usual coming out of this one in Seattle. Did we get any more clarity on the next? number of years when it comes to the NHL and NHL players in international competition?
2: We did, and and you know what? Part of it is kind of been out there already, but I think the big thing today we know that the NHL has been working on setting a calendar, an international hockey calendar, but for me the big thing has been for the first time when talking about the 2026 Olympics the NHL expressed some real concern about the venue and that, you know, we're always thinking roadblocks and what could prevent NHL players from going for once. It actually might not be the NHL itself that the league seemed to pour cold water today on, on the building process of this venue in Milan where construction actually hasn't even started yet, which is kind of amazing to think about. And there's still, even with some delays projecting construction to end in late 2025 ahead of the 2026 Olympics, which are in the first week of February, that would (laughs) leave about six to eight weeks of getting ready a venue for the Olympics, including putting in ice, hosting a test event, all those things that would come with it. So the league is already expressing some concern about, Hey, what if they can't pull this off and then on top of that, what are the alternatives and would the league and players still be interested in going if they didn't have the same full Olympic experience? So kind of like I'm sitting here ramming my head against the desk saying, for once, it seems like the NHL and NHLPA are on the same page. They want to try and go. Does this open the door for the league to pull back and say, hey, we're not disrupting our season for this
1: yeah it uh yeah i am I'm, I'm interested to see what type of clarity we get or or what this calendar ends up looking like what what we're hearing and kind of the the rough details of it sounds promising but um, i am I am interested to see how how this gets finalized in the years to come um and just just one more on, on Board of Governors meetings before we close on the uh, Oilers trade news today. Um, but what uh, what were your takeaways? I know there were a lot of people that uh, had, had different takeaways from what new Senator's owner Michael Anlauer had to say when, when he spoke publicly. There was talk about Ottawa's future on the ice. There was talk about what their quest for a new downtown arena might be looking like. What were some of your takeaways when
2: listening to uh, Michael Anlauer speak this week? Really just that patience is their key. Like They're trying to take a long view, which I think you should when you acquire a new franchise. You don't want to be the guy that comes in and hacks and whacks everything and tries to put his own stamp on it. He said quite clearly, I'm here to learn. And part of that's been a learning experience when it comes to how this team performs on the ice. He's heard the chants of fire DJ raining down about DJ Smith inside Canadian tire center. He understands their angst, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to push him into making a decision. uh, And, and their president of hockey ops, Steve Steos and making a decision on DJ Smith. They're going to be patient and see how this develops. They feel like with seven games in hand on some of their competition in the division that they can turn this around. I would say that even though Mm -hmm. it's only been a, you know, not quite a quarter of the season for them that it's getting late early. They're still dragging up the rear in the Atlantic in a year in which they were supposed to have um, some expectations to be a playoff team. And I thought with this roster that they should certainly be better than they've been. And then when it comes to the arena, I think they're just doing their due diligence. Speaking of the patients, they know that with the national capital commission, whether it's building in downtown Ottawa on La Breton flats, whatever it might be that, Working with government, he goes, I don't know if you've ever worked with government before, but it takes time. Nothing really happens quickly, and that's the part here that um, they're just trying to have that long view of whenever we get our hands on a new arena, whether it might mean five, seven years, or refurbishing Canadian Tire Center, we want to do it so that fans have the best-in-class experience. And so they're viewing... Seattle and Edmonton and Montreal than the refurbishment that they've done there and and the Islanders Arena on Long Island. They want to make sure that they're getting their hands on the best that they possibly can for Sens fans, which if you're from Ottawa and that's your squad, that would have to make you feel pretty excited.
1: Finally, Frank, uh, what's happening with uh, Philip Broberg in Edmonton?
2: It's a good question. Um... You know, it's funny. There's actually been some pushback. I think there's been some questions since my report of did the Oilers actually grant permission to Broberg's camp? Uh, Broberg's camp certainly feels that that's been the case, and they've been making calls today, which is how uh, that news came out. Nonetheless, I think there's certainly an agreement that Philip Broberg could use a fresh start elsewhere He's been a healthy scratch for significant chunks of time over these last two years. I think his confidence is rattled. And me personally, just my own opinion here, I think the Oilers have mismanaged the asset. This is a first-round pick that um, really these guys mm-hmm. need trust. They need time to develop. And I get the win-now mentality. But how the <laughs> Oilers getting if they use Philip Broberg on the left side of their third pair than if they used brett kulak like could they you know no disrespect to kulak but he's had a tough year could they not just move out brett kulak and free up some cap space and then opportunity for a guy that i think when you think of philip broberg and what's unfolded in edmonton i don't i don't think he's been a failure i think he just hasn't properly been tested and that part i think is kind of what sticks out to me is it feels like they could do some more digging and uncovering before they decided to pull that trigger
1: yeah. Well two things We uh, got through the delay It ended up being just fine uh, So it's, I'm, I'm glad we were able to make everything work Technically so that's number one Number two get home safe from uh, Seattle My friend great stuff Awesome reporting from Board of Governors meetings And uh, a ton of intel coming from Seattle Thanks for doing this as always Frankie We'll hear you on the morning show later this week And uh, we will talk to you next week Thank you pal Sounds good Pat have a good one Uh, You as well. Frank Saravalli is our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays, and he joins us, brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit southtrailexports.com.
2: This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: All right, time for our Daily Flames Roundtable on this Tuesday, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 Formatic Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48 month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until twenty twenty four. Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us. We're uh, all here at the Hot Stove Lounge at the Scotia Bank Saddledome for today's Daily Flames Roundtable. Well, I-, I don't know if this was well. In fact, I know this wasn't worst case scenario for the Flames, but wasn't best case scenario either. Best case scenario and Jacob Markstrom would have been. Yeah, just stung him a little bit. He was good to go, and uh, he's starting Tuesday night against Minnesota. That is not the case. Uh, what we found out Tuesday morning, Jacob Markstrom week to week with a broken finger sustained at practice on Monday no surgery needed but for the time being for the next week plus it's going to be Dan Vladar and Dustin Wolf as Calgary's goaltending tandem so just I'm just curious now that we've had a few hours to digest this boys what's uh, the reaction to Tuesday's Jacob Markstrom news
0: well it's bad news but it could be worse news I was worried he was going to be out longer term it sounds like it'll be probably less than a month and I know that there were a lot of people who, after watching the video, said, why are you doing that in practice? Well, what do you want the guy to do, to take his foot off the gas? Was and... there, did there end up being video of it? I'm pretty sure I saw some comments about people seeing what happened, oh, okay. or maybe they were just commenting on what was reported Uh, to happen that, you know, he dove across the crease and uh, made a save with his blocker hand. Uh, Unfortunately, not on the blocker side, but on the side without protection. uh, My pushback on that would be, I would want my players competing in practice. You know, play like you practice. And he's played very well this season. So it's bad for him and bad for the team. But other than center and maybe even including center, I would say the position the Flames are deepest at is in net. You've got a number one goaltender in Jacob Markstrom. You've got a guy who I think is a good number two goaltender who could potentially turn into a number one in Dan Vladar. And you've got arguably the best goaltending prospect on the planet in Dustin Wolf, two-time AHL goaltender of the year and last year's league MVP. And I know fans have been clamoring to see him, and I'm not sure that, Many fans wanted it to happen the way that it has, Mm -hmm. but uh, injuries do happen in this league. So I feel terrible for Jacob Markstrom, who's been one of the Flames' best players this season. Hopefully he's back sooner rather than later. But uh, now it's up to Dan Vladar and Dustin Wolf to keep this team in the fight for a playoff spot. And uh, I think the guys have the ability to do it. And it's going to give everybody... Uh, a little bit longer look at Dustin Wolf than we've had so far. He's played in two career NHL games, a meaningless one, at least for the team, uh, in Game 82 last season, and a meaningful one that didn't really go that well this season. So we're going to start to get a look at this guy and, and see if uh, he could potentially be uh, a UC Soros type moving forward.
3: Yeah, to your point, Pat, not the best
0: case scenario, but certainly
3: far from the worst yeah. case scenario, and... Just listening to Ryan Huska talk about it today, I, I don't know if it was a joke or if he was being serious. Maybe you guys can read into it. He said that Jacob Markstrom wanted to play Tuesday night against the Minnesota Wild, and it's like, oh, well, maybe you got to protect them against themselves a little bit there. But now, this, as you said, Wilsey, this gives the Calgary Flames an opportunity to one, see what Dan Vladar can do carrying the ball, and two, see what you have at an NHL level in depth a little bit more than you have in Dustin Wolf, because yeah. Worst-case scenario, Dustin Wolf is a top-five goalie prospect in the world right now. And Dan Vladar, at times, has looked like he can carry load. He's been inconsistent, but you don't have to look too far back in the past to remember a 10-game point streak out of Dan Vladar. And this is, to me, a pivotal time for the Calgary Flames in their schedule crawling their way out of the hole they dug themselves early in the season. And Jacob Markstrom was a massive part in the Calgary Flames being able to turn that six-game losing streak that two, seven, and that 2-7-1 and start into something a little closer to 500. So now it'll be on Dan Vladar and Dustin Wolf to pick up that slack. And I'm just curious to see how it'll unfold for them because the Flames yeah. play eight games in 14 days and 10 games in 19 days coming up. So there's certainly not going to be a shortage of seeing Vladar and Wolf but, yeah, ideally you'd like to have your number one and Jacob Markstrom in there.
1: Well, and, and Wilsey, it was something that, that you asked Ryan Huska in, in the news conference uh, on Tuesday morning. And, and I think it's, it's important that, look y- – there's never good timing to lose your number one goaltender, but you, you feel a whole lot better about it now than you would have if this happened in October. Like, the way Jacob was playing in October, and how he was holding the team in, but the team game was just a, a, a bit messier, a lot messier, and, and things were a whole lot more connect, a whole lot less connected then. Um, I think you feel a whole lot better about the way the team is playing, so I think for that reason, you feel a whole lot better that you can stay as or close to competitive with a Vladar Wolf tandem if it's two weeks, if it's two and a half weeks, and you know if that's eight games, while well, it's four and four or five and three or however it's end up ended up being split. I, I think you can feel pretty confident that the way your team is playing in front of your goaltending gives you an opportunity, and that's all you're going to need from Wolf or Vladar is is to give the to give the team an opportunity to win. So, um, yeah, I. I there's no such thing as good timing, but I think you're feeling yeah. better about your ability to stay competitive because the team is in a much better spot right now. A hundred percent. I mean there were games in October when the Flames
0: really struggled to A score goals and B prevent their opponent from scoring goals where Jacob Markstrom was the best player on the ice. And that still wasn't good enough for them to win or even pick up a point. But since the start of November, this has been a much better team. The Flames, based on NHL counts, are a top-seven possession team in the league. They're at 52.8%. They're 11th in shots for, 7th in shots against. And I remember when we were talking a lot about uh, them changing from man-on-man to zone in the defensive zone. Ryan Huska did say that, listen, we might spend a little bit more time in the D zone, but the idea is we're not going to give up the same number of grade A chances this season that we did last. Right. While, while they were trying to wrap their heads around how to play in the defensive zone, and that goes beyond the defenseman, that extends to the forwards, there was a lot more pressure on the goaltenders because they were spending more time in the defensive zone and still giving up way too many grade A chances. But this team has looked so much more structured and on the same page in the D zone since the start of November. It's made life a lot easier for their goaltenders in that at the other end of the ice, and as Ryan Huska has said numerous times, offense starts in the defensive zone. Because they've been better in the D zone, they've spent more time in the O zone. And this team has not struggled to score in November and December like they did in October which puts the goaltenders in a much better spot where they don't feel like they have to be perfect in order for the Flames to win a hockey game so never ideal to lose your number one guy and one of the best players in your team but you've got a great backup plan in Dan Vladar and Dustin Wolf and uh, again I uh, didn't uh, want it to happen this way but have been chomping at the bit to see Wolf play in some NHL games and now we're gonna get the chance to uh, to highlight your point on the Flames' early season struggles
3: in the defensive zone and giving up grade A chances, that's where Jacob Markstrom has shined this season. He hasn't. Going into action on Monday night, he was seventh in the NHL amongst goalies in high danger save percentage at 8.54. League average was 7.86. Wow. So he's almost 100 points higher, high danger save percentage. Uh, they're going to miss that. How much they miss it is really going to depend on the darn wolf, in my books.
1: Uh, Daily Flames roundtable. It's uh, Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg here at the Scotia Bank Saddledome. You know, as as the season's gone along, and you know, it's I, th- I think we're all very much aware that this is a by committee Flames team and and a group that is going to do a lot of their winning when they get. Contributions offensively from everywhere. And you take a look at the leading scorers on this team, there's not a whole lot between who's number one and who's number four, so on and so forth. Well, Mackenzie Wieger's tied for second on the Flames with six goals, and he leads all defensemen on the team with 13 points so far this season. Just Overall, but maybe how it translates to the offensive side of things, what are we seeing from Uyghurs game this season?
0: It's interesting uh, transitioning from talking about the goaltenders to one of the team's top four defensemen. Remember how Daryl Sutter used to say that you build a Stanley Cup winner up the middle, starting with your goaltender or goaltenders and then your top four in defense and then your centerman? Where are the Flames strongest? I would say at those three positions or in those three areas they've got three good goaltenders they've got four good defensemen and they've got three guys up front playing down the middle who are all really good 200 foot players and uh, this team is a team that has to win with four lines and three pairings and two or three goaltenders and their top four in defense has been a huge part of that and the flames are getting a lot of offense from their defense and Mackenzie Weger it's crazy you know when he scored his first goal as a member of the Flames last season?
1: Wasn't it like it, it straddled halfway Somewhere through game 37? Yeah, it was, right, it was just before <laughs> the halfway mark. So, no was that, goals.
0: Was that New Year's Eve? I don't remember, but it was game 37. I remember that much. So, it was no goals in his first 36 games last season, six goals in his first 24 games this season. Do you know how many Blue Liners have scored more goals than Mackenzie Wieger this season? Two. Their names are Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr. That's Just pretty to good put company. in perspective how good Mackenzie Wieger has been this season, he, he's shooting the pocket ton. And we talked to Ryan Huska this morning, and he said, in a perfect world, I'd love to have a lefty and a righty on all three defense pairings. He goes, but, you know, we've tried different combinations here, and the one that's worked the best is having Mackenzie Wieger a righty playing on the left side of the top pairing with Rasmus Anderson. There are some disadvantages to doing that, to playing in your offside, but there are some advantages, and one of them is your sticks in the middle of the ice to shoot the puck, and he's done a great job getting to the middle, finding those shooting lanes, and putting pucks on net. Six of them have gone into the net, and there have been a bunch of other shots that have led to chaos and assists and, and scoring opportunities for this team, but I just love how he plays the game. He plays the game with edge. Uh, he's an intelligent player at both ends of the ice. And he makes some mistakes, but when you consider how much he plays, he doesn't make that many. And uh, there's way more good than bad with Mackenzie Wieger. And for a team that needs to get offensive contributions from everybody, all four lines, all three pairings, he's done a great job scoring six
1: goals. And uh, he's been one of their best players this season. Just before you jump in, you were right and you were right. It was McKenzie's 37th game, which was the 38th cuz he missed one game. Ah. 38th game of the season, which was ah. New Year's Eve. So Happy new year. uh, everybody's everybody's ready. Right.
3: Well, you want to know how I did that cuz I broke down his splits. I don't know if you guys know this, but I got to spend some time with McKenzie Weeger at the World Championships. Sometimes I go to Europe. And hey boy was he good there. And he told me cool. that he didn't really feel comfortable as a member of the Calgary Flames till he got past Christmas into the new year. And so from October 1st to December 31st last season, one goal, eight assists, nine points in 37 games. From January 1 to the end of the season, three goals, 19 assists for 22 points in 44 games. So half a point per game. This season he's got six goals and seven assists for 13 points in 24 games. So above that point per game, half point per game pace, He's just gotten more and more comfortable as he settled into Calgary, and now is starting to translate into the offensive production. And he's on pace now for 21 goals, which would be a career high at any level for him. We're talking junior. As far back as elite prospects will go with Mackenzie Wieger, he hasn't scored more than 14 at any level, and he's on pace right now for 21. Now is he going to get there? I mean, that's pretty lofty, but he's put in the work to get the start going. And he's on pace for 45 points, his NHL career high is 44 in 21-22 he's just settled in, got comfortable, and he's just managed to layer add another layer, add another layer, add another layer to his game and we're seeing it in his production.
1: Yeah, I'm I I'm really impressed with like this guy, this guy has gone from settling in as a member of the flames and and finding his niche last year to now being one of their offensive leaders and he's gone from settling into now okay I'm I'm going to assert myself on a regular basis and he now leads the Calgary Flames in five-on-five shot attempts. Uh, his shot attempts are 112 uh, at five-on-five. That's nine more than Nazem Kadri, um, and that is 22 more than Michael Backlund, who last year what <laughs> doing best bets like yep. Michael Backlund was the hit shot hit the attempt
3: over on king, two and a half right? and three and a half. He hit it about like 12 games in a row.
1: And when you count in power play time, where McKenzie hasn't always been a mainstay has been more and more recently he's second to Kadri in shot attempts and like that just tells you that this guy has made a very very pointed effort to be a little bit more involved in that respect and and guys I at least in, in my opinion I don't know if you guys disagree but I haven't seen him uh, go from you know taking that step and being more involved in that regard um, and and having that impact the other side of his game. I still think he's been an impactful defenseman uh, at at both ends of the ice. So I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing from McKenzie. I I think that assertiveness and that ability to um, just continue to I've really liked what I've seen and and it's been noticeable even going back to about midway through last year how much more assertive he's been in putting pucks on net like he's approaching you know he's not that far off from halfway from the shot attempts he had last year uh, and we're just over a quarter of the way through the season. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely been an area that he has made a, a concerted effort in, and I've been very impressed by it.
0: I think sometimes we might underestimate how challenging it is off the ice and on the ice for players who get traded, especially when they're probably not expecting to, to get right. traded, like Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Wieger. So, yeah, he's settled in. He is a, a top-pairing defenseman. And not only has he scored six goals, He scored some big goals, guys. Think about the Flames' last two wins. He scores the game-winning goal with 4.8 seconds left in overtime. Looked a lot like Bobby Orr in a 2-1 victory over the Golden Knights last Tuesday. And then he scores the game-tying goal with 2 minutes and 41 seconds remaining in regulation time in their 4-3 overtime victory over the Stars last Thursday. So this guy's stepping up when his team needs him to. And, you know, if we're nitpicking... I'd like to see his partner start to shoot the puck a little bit more. And I think Flames' coaches would as well. Uh, Rasmus Anderson, as far as Flames' defensemen are concerned, I think he's got the best shot. I'd like to see him use it more. Five on five and on the power play. Uh, But that's been a really good pairing for the Flames, and and Weger's been leading the way.
3: And I say all this world stuff tongue-in-cheek just to get a rise out of you, Pat, because I know you love European vacations. But I do wonder how much being a mainstay for Team Canada at the World Championship. He was far and away the number one defenseman in my book. He yeah. was the number one player in the tournament. Had 11 points in 10 games, helping Canada to gold. I think he's just continued to build that momentum from yeah. starting to feel good in Calgary in the new year to being an absolute force of the World Championship for Calgary to coming back here and feeling like he can be a top pairing or a number one defenseman.
0: Pat likes European vacations. I like Christmas vacation. I believe it's the best Christmas movie that's ever been made. Hmm. Ever agree or disagree? I've
1: I've never seen
0: Christmas Vacation. Oh my God! This guy's never seen Rocky, any of them, or Christmas
1: Vacation. I mean, I don't think uh, Rocky. I can understand that. Although I don't really I've, – I've seen I've seen Rocky 1 and 2. I'm like, they're fine. Uh, Rocky 4 is the best in my books. Yeah, I'm just saying. I agree with you. I haven't seen Rocky um, 3 or 4.
3: terms of Christmas movies, I don't have an actual that's ranking. A no, but no
1: we're not doing I this on elf. December 5th. We're not we, it's, We're not doing I'm this. I'm going to lend
0: you the Blu-ray, and you're going to watch it. I Do you have
1: a DVD player? Uh, I'm pretty sure I can find it on demand somewhere. I'm okay. sure it's a- – <laughs> Believe it. Sorry, a Blu-ray player? <laughs> when is the last, When was the last time you used a DVD player? Like, honestly. No, you know what? We don't have time for this. We've got to take a break. Okay, bye. Um, I, I'll make sure I watch Christmas Vacation just for you, though. Um, he's Derek he's vickers my name is pat and that'll wrap us up this hour on flames talk thanks to cam and taylor our producers back downtown and that'll do it on our daily flames round table brought to you as always by mercedes-benz country hills the glc 300 formatic coupe is built for winter loyalty lease rate of 3.99 percent on a 48 month lease zero down for 1099 a month no payments until 2024